Welcome to another episode of Digging for Something. This is episode number four, and once again, this is JJ, the host. Now, this episode is going to be about a couple movies that I've seen recently. Um, I'm, like I mentioned in the in the first episode, I'm, uh, I'm, I've been watching a lot of documentaries. I enjoy documentaries. So one of the movies that I did see was a documentary. And the other was was a scripted uh, movie uh, based on a true story. Now, the first movie I'm going to talk about is Brian Banks, which is the, I believe it's the name of the movie. It might just be Banks. I don't remember. But uh, it, um, it was about a high school football player in California who, by all evaluations, was on his way for a successful football career in college and and uh, potentially the NFL. Um, fortunately, um, like many youngsters do, got himself in a little bit of trouble, and it was uh, trouble that he couldn't get out of. Now, um, let me go back a little bit. Um, the kind of premise of this show is about two instances where the justice system failed and one failed the the accused and the other failed society so brian banks in his case it was the judicial system failing him and it failed him on many different levels um while he was in high school he kind of not necessarily got lured, but he he got tempted by a female classmate, and they went to a not a hidden location, but a kind of secluded location, and got spooked, and he ran. Um, but for some reason, whether it was embarrassment, um, just to cover herself, the accused stated that she was raped by Brian Banks. And the cops were called, he was arrested, um, he was charged, and, and it was basically to, it came down to his word versus her word. Um, there was some investigation done, um, but n- probably not as much as should have been. Uh, there was some forensic ev- evidence collected. Uh, the accused, or I'm sorry, the accuser was was evaluated. Um, samples were taken from her um, and analyzed. And all this was part of the report. Now, Brian Banks, he, he, he basically came from a single mother household. So his mother did not have a lot of money. Um, basically had to sell everything just to get him an attorney. So he already had 
um, difficulties right there just because uh, things are stacked against him. And uh, he couldn't even make bail. So his bail was you know, egregiously high. So if this case went to court, um, he was going to have to be behind bars for at least a year just to, just to get to his court date. Now, um, prior to the the trial, um, as in most cases, the defense attorney and the prosecutor, they, they get together, try to see if they can come up with a plea agreement. Obviously, the defense team tries to uh, lowball it. Um, either they'll, they'll usually start for dismissal, start with dismissal and uh, work their way up. And of course, uh, the prosecution will start at close to the max and work their way down. And um, after uh, some some discussions, there was uh, an offer on the table, and uh, it w- it was it was less than what he was originally charged with, because originally he was charged with kidnapping, uh, rape, um, uh, I think a couple of other charges. So they came, I believe, it was sexual assault. Um, and the deal was basically struck, um, uh, the belief that it was, uh, going to be the minimum sentence, which was maybe up to a year. And, uh, but he would have to register as a sex offender, which is probably worse than the prison time because that's pretty, that's pretty much, uh, stuck with you forever. And, um, and impacts your life and how, where you live where you can go, um, always getting the eye uh, from people once they find out. So, uh, in, in this case, um, Ryan Banks um, had the offer. His attorney brought brought him the offer, which which really it wasn't great for him uh, because he professes innocence the whole time um but his lawyer uh basically stated and it was a black woman attorney and um she talked him into um accepting a plea deal and basically told him that if we go to trial trial it is a crapshoot um there's an all-white jury and uh that he'll basically be convicted and have the harshest sentence possible so that was the advice she gave. Um, and he basically had 10 minutes to accept the deal. And he could not consult his mother. He had to accept the deal and and make the decision on his own. Um, at the time, he was only 17 years old, scared, um, didn't know his future held as far as this case. So he thought he would take it. Now, when the judge decided um, to enter the plea deal, he gave the maximum sentence that the the charge allowed, which was five years in in prison, three I believe three years probation, and of course register as a sex offender for the rest of his life, um, which normally shocked Brian Banks, but it also shocked his attorney and. Um, 
there was really nothing they can do at that at that point. Now, there's been some criticism for, with the attorney because um, there was a lot of things that were overlooked. Um, the forensic evidence basically stated there was no rape. There was no there was no intercourse. Um, she wasn't. She basically wasn't touched. Uh, also, some quick investigation showed the kidnapping probably did not take place either because in order for him to take her to that location with her kicking and screaming, passing multiple classrooms with doors open, that somebody would notice. So there was a lot of reasonable doubt. Um, but for some reason, his attorney, um, maybe she feared the worst and, uh, advised him to take the deal, or she just was not, uh, she was not very experienced in trials, or trials of this nature, so she was afraid for him to go to, um, go to trial, and, uh, basically wound up in jail, uh, because she didn't think she could do it. Now, this was, this was a kid who, had his whole life ahead of him. And because of this sentence, his football career was basically done. Um, because after serving the time and the probation, uh, he's already older than all first-year players in the NFL, let alone to start a college football career, which he did not finish high school. I believe he finished in in uh, prison, but did not have, was not on the football field, so his career was basically over after this. Um, the alleged victim and her mother also sued the school and uh, received a settlement of $1.5 million. Now, now the settlement was reached, and um, like... Like most cases, uh, lawsuits that take place, the defendants typically, unless they are so confident that they can win without a PR hit, uh, they try to settle, uh, either sweep it under a rug, avoid the bad publicity, or um, or just think they can kind of get off a little easier and they settle as quickly as possible. Uh, and that is probably what happened in this case. And um, once Brian Banks was out of prison on probation and had to adhere to all the rules and regulations of probation, uh, it was it was really tough on him. And, uh, you know, try, just trying to get a job or, or start relationships, um, knowing that he is a registered sex offender. Uh, it, it pretty much killed his youth, killed his future, and he was struggling. And um, he wanted to try anything he can to to clear his name. Um, he even reached out to uh, an organization in California that kind of specializes in in defending those who've been wrongfully accused. Uh, and the movie itself really 
touches a lot of the of um of the work that group does and the kind of leader of that group uh justin brooks uh, who i believe is the director of the california innocence project and uh, their goal is to try to exonerate or pardon or um, have prisoners that are actually innocent uh, have their cases examined and try to get them out of jail. Um, and Brian Banks reached out to to Justin Brooks and uh, originally they were very hesitant just for a simple fact that this is somebody who's already served time. It was, he wasn't found guilty. He was, it was a plea deal. He, he pled and he actually pled no contest. So, which means he wasn't, he wasn't admitting guilt or innocence, uh, but he, he was accepting punishment for it. So because of this, and because there's no new evidence, um, the group basically said, there's nothing we can do as much as they agreed that yes, he he was done wrong. Uh, he's somebody who probably needs to have his case looked at. But it's almost like uh, like like a term I use a lot is spilled milk. Like it's spilled milk. It already happened. There's nothing you can do. You can't go back and change things. But uh, for Brian Banks, he wanted that that scarlet letter removed. He didn't want to be looked at as a, a sex offender all his life, um, having every door and window closed without having the same opportunities as others his age or um, just the rest of society. And um, he just didn't want to give up. But unfortunately, there wasn't a lot that can be done. And um, and although they, they, or they wanted to work with him, they just because of the, the way that the justice system is set up, uh, you, 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 you can't have a conviction overturned just because they're innocent. Um, you need to come up with something new, something that wasn't in the original case, um, or you weren't represented uh, correctly, or there was uh, you know, some kind of backroom dealing. Um, you have to come up with something to actually have your case reopened and so that you know their hands were tied um but he just wasn't giving up he was not going to give up and the shocking thing about it all is it was the actual alleged victim that opened the door for him to get his life back yeah i have already i've stated uh i'm not big into social media i do i I do not like social media. Um, <laughs> I think there's more harm that can come out of it than benefit. And I, I understand I'm kind of a dinosaur in this, but that's the way I feel. You know? um, I just don't understand living through social media, but that's me. Um, anybody who does that, that's their choice. But <laughs> um, right now, I don't choose to partake in it, but who knows in the future. But um, you know, let me get back to the topic. Uh, I do this a lot. I love to divert, but um, since I don't have somebody on the other side, uh, I have to I have to keep channeling myself to stay on topic. It's a struggle, but I'll do it. 
So uh, the door was open because the alleged victim sent a friend request to Brian Banks and basically said, after he replied, are you, I think it was, are you serious? Something like that. I was like, oh, I was hoping they let bygones be, uh, let bygones be bygones. And he was shocked. I think the world is shocked that she actually did this. Uh, to think that somebody who who accused another person of rape um, saw that person sent to prison and sued the school basically wanted to be his friend. Like, what? You know, it only happens in the movies, and obviously I did see it in a movie, but that's that doesn't happen in real life. Um, this girl, or actually woman by this point, uh, she she might not have been the sharpest knife uh, in the drawer, um, or she may have mental issues. But uh, to do that, like, hey, it happened. Hey, let's be friends. Like, does she really think he's going to be like okay? Especially when he's been professing his innocence all this time. <laughs> really? Um, you know, is this a joke? And uh, he, he actually agreed to meet her. And once again, if this man was guilty of this, why would she want to meet him? Um... You know, some of the movie, of course, with with movies, they they take a story and they have uh, you know creative liberties with it. So there's some embellishments, some some scenes that are, are definitely not exact to real life, but it's just a basic story. But basically, she saw her his picture in on Facebook and thought he looked good. So maybe she was thinking that hey. Uh, maybe we can finish what was supposed to happen in the stairwell. But, um, yeah. I'm not the most rational person, but hey. Uh, it's just part of the story. So, they agreed to meet. And, for, I guess, his own protection, he wanted a third party involved. Um, just to make sure he does, he's not getting himself in trouble, obviously. He's already getting himself trouble because, or potentially getting himself trouble because he's he's made contact with the alleged victim and uh, he can he can he can be uh, brought in for a parole violation and uh, sent back to prison. But in his mind, he's like, no, 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 I'm gonna do what I can because I I will take that risk because living in the free world, it's still prison for him anyway. So they met, he set up a camera, and she basically admitted to making it up that it didn't happen. And the thing about it is, all evidence showed he didn't. But his attorney, the police, the prosecution, the judge who had all this information failed him. It took somebody who who isn't the sharpest knife to open the door and try to get his life back. Um, and it's it's mind-boggling when you think about it, of all the failures that took place. 
and you know you could always start with the attorney um maybe not represented correctly um who knows but it was definitely a failure the prosecution had a weak case at best and yeah i understand attorneys um in many cases it's about the victory not about justice uh i mean let's be honest how many defense attorneys uh take cases knowing their their client is guilty as can be and when if they're acquitted they're not happy because they got an innocent man they, they're happy because an innocent woman they're happy because they just won the case it's uh it's a notch in their belt so there is a lot of ego and a lot of scorekeeping in the judicial system and um i don't want to say race had anything to do with it um it probably had uh, some some component to it um but if that was the sole thing then that's where his attorney would have put the brakes on but a failure in that end as well um you know you can't just blame the race it's it's it was a failure on every single level so with this recording which because she didn't agree to be recorded was not admissible in court um obviously was not enough to get things overturned but it was enough to open the door and that's what they needed to open the door the doubt has already been raised um now it, it still took a lot of work uh from from, from the uh California Innocence project uh to to kind of get this case moving um and also convince the prosecution and then the judge to overturn it but that was the start uh the there was depositions uh and they they try they tried to clear his name that way um but the depositions did not go well with the alleged victim um but also this was a victim who who changed her story multiple times but the prosecution just going ignore it ignore the truth and went ahead and and agreed to present it to the judge the same judge who presided over the sentencing and gave the harsher sentence um and the judge at the end of the day it's just too much to ignore um and acquitted or dismissed or however whatever legal jargon is used to clear his name um you know no apology no uh, the court screwed up uh, none of that but at the end of the day Brian Banks got his, got what he wanted his uh his name cleared 
Um, unfortunately, his football career was never going to, you know, be fulfilled. Um, he had a few cups of coffee, um, I think, in training camp, and uh, he actually did play a preseason with the Atlanta Falcons. So he is able to say he played in the NFL, although it was you know, preseason, but. He put on the pads, uh, went into a game, tackled somebody. Um, So he was able to live that dream. Um, Now, this was, you know, we're talking, what, 15 years ago when all this took place, or maybe less, and way before the Me Too movement. Um, Now, the Me Too movement, although it's, it was a very good movement, um, like many other movements, it probably went a little too far and uh, and you know, cast a shadow on just about every man. Uh, you were guilty of some sort of inappropriate action. Now, you know, the beginning of it, it was a great righteous movement, um, but then everybody wanted to put their hand in it. And because somebody, some man tried to kiss a woman who was not interested and was on a date, oh, it's all part of me too. But that's just, that's that's where it kind of went overboard. And, um, and then it kind of fell into uh, too much. And we're always gonna be leave the accuser now. With most of these cases, it is he said, she said, um, and you you would like to believe the accuser uh, because, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage to to tell your story, how you were used, how you were used, breaking. Um, it takes a lot of courage because always be sexual abuse and it's something that probably requires therapy support and all that. So it's very difficult. So you believe the accuser. But then you get something like this and yeah, the accuser was believed with no evidence whatsoever. Now many cases have no evidence just because there's no evidence. This had no evidence because all the evidence came back as he didn't do it. Um, so it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, you want to believe. Now, it's it's it, it's like you can either believe everybody or not believe anybody. Um, and it's tough. It's tough. You don't know how, um, especially if you don't have a personal stake in it or don't know the person or know anybody involved, it's hard. Um, and then really what it comes down to is whether you like the person or not, or whether you have something, um, some link or something. Um, you know, recently, both Hope High Profile, you have two cases. Um, you have when Brett Kavanaugh, uh, the Supreme Court Justice, w- went through his uh, his hearings, and he was accused of 
sexual assault or sexual misconduct from decades ago. And he was a Republican nominee, so the Democrats believe the accusers, no matter what. Now, nobody knows. Only, Only two people know the truth. But once again, it was... Uh, it was selective belief. It's the you know the Republican Party said he didn't do it. They didn't believe her. The Democrats said he did, but uh, he was he was cleared anyway just because uh, it was a Republican um, Senate had had the majority in the Senate. And then recently you have Joe Biden accused in the nineties of sexual misconduct. And once again, Democrats he's going to be our president. Republicans. He sexually abused a woman. So, you know, it's selective belief. Um, And in both cases, who knows? I wasn't there. Um, Anybody listening wasn't there. So you don't know. um, You know, and it's a shame. It's a shame that's what happens. Um, And nowadays, with all the technology, DNA, uh, hopefully that that brings us to a place where the the guilty, more likely than not, will be punished, and the innocent, more likely than not, will be freed. So, uh, Brian Banks now is he's working with the California Innocence Project. Uh, they're still they're still going uh, strong, trying to. Um, and free innocent people from behind bars, and yes, it's important work. And um, anybody who's behind bars who is innocent, um, there should probably be an easier way to get them out. But at least there are groups out there that are willing to help. Um, you know, our judicial system is, uh, our justice system is not perfect. Um, there are many flaws in it. Once again, we need uh, all parties involved all stakeholders to to kind of work together to try to improve it, um, to try to make it fair and um, to not make it a notch in the belt. And let's get justice for, for everybody and, uh, you know, equal justice, of course. Um, that is the goal, um, and that's part of what the Black Lives Matter is about. Uh, the other movie I saw, which was a documentary, um, was about Sam Little, and in this case, the justice system failed society. Sam Little was a career criminal of uh, violent crimes, uh, petty crimes, um, uh, theft, um, I think uh, fraud. He had been arrested so many times, um, but he was always let out. He he really was a career criminal, and. Oh, sorry, I had to get a drink of water. Um, he was a career criminal, and you know who knows how and why uh, he spent such little time behind bars for all his different um, crimes. And there was a murder in it might have been Louisiana or Mississippi, and. He was a person of interest. He was behind bars. They they knew he committed this this murder, and 
they were trying to get the evidence they needed. Everything was circumstantial. Um, it was enough to believe that he did it, but not enough to get a guilty verdict. Um, but while he was behind bars, there were a couple murders in Florida where once the information from, uh, um, I, I believe it was Mississippi, um, kind of crossed over the wires, they were like, hold on. I think this is the guy who committed the murders here. So he was extradited to Florida and uh, there was enough evidence to stand trial for murders. Um, uh, most of the women that he was accused of assaulting and murdering, and typically with his bare hands, either beating them to death or strangling them to death, they were they were prostitutes, um, drug addicts, uh, loners, uh, very easy targets where he can he can basically commit his crimes, and by the time Anybody knows they're missing, you know, their bodies might have been recovered, but they were already decomposed. So a lot of forensic evidence is not available. Uh, he was, I don't want to say he was smart, but I mean, he was, you know, he did think, well, you know, he thought of his, his crimes pretty well to, to allow him to keep going with uh, drawing little attention. So. He was brought to trial in Florida, and he was acquitted. So, you know, once again, when you know somebody who did it, you, um, and this is somebody who was, I think it was at three murders he, he was believed to have committed. So, and, you know, this was not a group murder. This was different women, different times. So this was a serial killer. Um, and when they thought if there was three, there's probably more. And he's probably going to do it again. But once you're acquitted, nothing you can do. You have to let him go. Um, so he, he drove around the United States and, um, you know, he, he was arrested for different crimes. Um, but in California, Southern California, he was pretty much caught red-handed. There was a murder of a prostitute, and there, I'm sorry, it was, not, it was not a murder. It was a uh, attempted murder of a prostitute. She basically got away from playing possum, and it was probably the first time he was sloppy, and. They, they they found her. She, um, she was beaten. She had marks on her neck. She was sexually assaulted, um, and uh, she was able to provide information about the person who did it to her and the vehicle and the location. So there was. Um, Ebola sent out for his car, and lo and behold, uh, the uh, cop sees the car, lights off, 
So they go behind the, the car and they practically caught him in the act of murder. Now, they were able to save the victim, but he was arrested for attempted murder, literally caught red-handed. And with with uh, the previous victim, you had two counts of attempted murder. Now, the most shocking thing, and this is in Southern California, same place um, or same geographic location as Brian Banks, here you had evidence, you had eyewitnesses, you had a police eyewitness, and they the, this time the prosecution was scared to take this case to trial, and they offered a plea of four years for attempted murder, sexual assault, so many different charges, assault, battery, whatever, you can kidnapping. Four years. That was a plea deal. Four years. Brian Banks, who had no evidence against him and was for uh, rape. And yes, yeah, don't get me wrong. Rape is, is uh, probably the, the most evil thing you can do. And, you know, so five years in prison for rape is, is a light sentence. But he was innocent either way. For years, Sam Little was sentenced to prison. And this was, I believe, the 80s or 90s. So I don't think they had the, the same communication around the states that if it happened now, it would set off triggers so many different places and like, oh, this is somebody who's a person of interest here, a person of interest there. So his name would have been brought up multiple times. Back then, uh, you know, he wasn't looked at as a serial killer in California, so they didn't really know. Um, so they thought they were doing the right thing. But I, once again, four years for a slam dunk case. This is somebody who should not have been out in the streets. And of course, good behavior. He was, he was let out um, for, I believe, after two and a half years. So, and once he's out, nobody knows. Um, now, after that is a little blurry of exactly what he did, but a few, um, I want to say maybe 20 years later, um, because of DNA evidence and, and things like that in different databases, his name came up as a possible uh, murder for another case. This one might have been in Louisiana. Um, or actually, no, I'm sorry. I believe it was L.A. So it was San Diego where he served the time. But in L.A., he committed murders as well. But they didn't know it was him at the time when he was sentenced in San Diego. But because his DNA was in the database and there was a pop, they caught up with him. He was basically living in a missionary, wheelchair-bound, in the 70s. So for 40 years, you had this serial killer. 
out on the loose and always was able to get away uh, with minimal prison time. Now, he was convicted in LA, um, given a life sentence, but once again, uh, triggers go off all over the place and in Texas. And, and, and this is where um, this case really it gets, I don't know if it's interesting, but it is interesting. So Texas links him to a murder there, and they basically offer him, because uh, we know Texas, they, they believe in the death penalty. Um, and in many cases, it's definitely warranted. Um, but they told him, look, if you come here and you clear this case for us, we pretty much know it's you. And the victim's family can have closure. You will not get the death penalty. And you will have a cush time in a Texas prison during all this. So he agreed. And But when he started talking, and I can imagine the investigators draw just dropping, he not only admitted to that murder, he admitted to murder after murder after murder after murder to the point where over 90 murders he admitted to with great detail and, and even drew portraits of the victims. Uh, now, in some of these cases, they were able to take take his uh, confessions and link them to actual murders. But because just probably all his victims were kind of on the outskirts of society, some may have never been found, never reported, um, and are just unknown. So with these confessions, and he actually gave locations, details, um, investigators in various uh, jurisdictions have to try to figure out who the hell he killed and where that body might be because they have no record of it. But because of his detail and giving the detail of cases they were actually able to link to him, they believe him. And he... As he's giving these details, he's almost kind of patting himself on the back. Like, he's done something amazing. And uh, 70 years old, or 72, 73, 74, how old he is now, I mean, he's never going to see freedom again. Um, and it's just, it's something that kind of shocks you because, one, the memory he has. And it's easy to say, oh, a lot of it's not true. But the ones they were able to link, the details that only he knew, and we're talking decades, um, decades ago that these crimes took place, and he was able to give the details like it was yesterday. Uh, so it's hard to believe that most of what he says is not true. Now, he, he may be fuzzy about uh, dates and things like that, but uh, it's you know hopefully yeah there a lot of closure can come from this and 
Um, it's a very interesting documentary. Um, uh, the one thing about serial killers is it's typically you know, white men who are serial killers. Yes, you've had women, you've had Latins, you've had black serial killers, but the most notorious serial, serial, serial killers in history are white men. So for the most prolific serial killer in history to be a black man, that adds some an additional layer to to kind of the story. Now this is this is something that FBI profilers probably never envisioned, and um, you know, although he was defiant in court and said he was innocent and blah blah blah, screaming um, like a crazy man. He is very calculated and has, you know, at my age, I don't have the best memory, but to have the memory he has at his age, um, but from what they, they from what the investigators say, they, they believe that he relived these moments so many times in his head, whether he was proud of them, um, enjoyed them, got some gratification off them, but because he kept reliving them, reliving these events in his head, he was able to keep those memories alive. Uh, who knows how many, you know, how many years he has left on this earth. Um, yeah. In my personal opinion, he doesn't deserve to be alive anymore. Uh, especially after all the confessions. Uh, you know, serial killers. Uh, I know there is a lot of debate about death penalty. Um, and things like that. Some believe death penalty should never be given. Others believe everybody who kills should be sentenced to death. Um, like many of the things I've said in there, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Not everybody who... I, I, I believe in the death penalty, but not in everybody who's killed a person I don't think deserves. And especially when evidence is very skinny. Um... You know, but a serial killer, you know, those to me are just open and shut, you know, whatever means that state or the federal system has, I think it should take place. And somebody who killed over 90 women, um, I don't believe taxpayers should be paying for their meals, uh, paying for their cable TV, because that person took the breath away from 90 people. Should not be allowed to breathe on this earth again. But either way, in order for families to get uh, closure, probably deals that have to be made. Um, you know, so he'll be kept alive until natural causes bring them down, or some state says, "Look, I don't care. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much information you gave." Um, you're going to be punished severely for this. So, um, I'm sure there's going to be some more uh, details Sam Little will be coming up with or be disclosing, but um, it's def it was definitely a good documentary to watch and, and good reading after, after actually watching the documentary. Uh, I don't know if there's actually a scripted movie about this. Um, maybe there is. If not, maybe there will be, because um, it is definitely interesting, and but it'll probably be very long. 
especially if they uh, if they recount uh, many of these murders. But um, this uh, these are two cases. Um, obviously, two different cases, but two cases of just the justice system failing. And you know, it's going to keep happening. Uh, the justice system is is run by humans and and uh, humans fail uh humans are you know are flawed and will make mistakes um but when they happen it's writing those wrongs that are important and also the ones that are not wrong is doing what you can to protect society because uh, we don't want brian banks to be in prison having his future taken away for a crime he didn't want to commit and we definitely don't want Sam Little on the street committing murders when he should already be behind bars. So that is my take on the two movies. Um, I I hope you enjoy this podcast. Um, probably in the future, I'll, I'll review a couple more movies uh, uh, that I find interesting or if there's kind of a correlation between uh, different stories or things like that. Um, but I, I hope you enjoyed this and if you catch the movies I hope you enjoy the movies um, I'll, I'll talk to you uh, next podcast